Hey, and welcome again, everybody, to another episode of the podcast where we try and take a slightly deeper look at coaching and search for ways that we can all do it better. Everybody involved in sports in Ireland got a bit of a boost during the past week, I suppose, with the announcement of government in relation to the relaxation of the various restrictions. For us involved in Intercounty, it means that we can get back on the field on the 19th of this month with our players and, and every other boy and girl get, can get stuck back into their sports from the 26th. We would love to have, have got back sooner, of course, but we'd gladly take it and at least it gives us all something that this pandemic has robbed from us in terms of a little bit of certainty moving forward. There's a target now in sight and it's coming much closer with every, with every passing day, thankfully. Uh, also this week, uh, I'm delighted to say I got a, I've got a few books to, to give out. Uh, author and leashman Mike Legan has put out a series of, of children's books called Declan Kirby, GA Star, his championship journey. Uh, so the best endorsement I can give these books, lads, is my two 10-year-olds devoured the 180-odd pages in about two nights. So it's uh, they come highly recommended. Given the nature of podcasts, look, I know people li- listen to them at different times of the week or whatever. So uh, if uh, if people are interested in, in getting a free copy of the book posted out to them for their own kids or nieces or nephews or whatever, um, I'm asking people to share this episode around on social media. Tag myself, uh, at my quirk. And use the hashtag Declan Kirby GAA Star. And at the end of the week, April 9th, I'll randomly pick out a few names and I will post out a book to uh, each of those people. And also remember, the podcast is, is brilliant for, for giving people a little bit of information and I'm, I'm really happy with the feedback and stuff that we're getting. But it's also as a fundraiser for Temple Street Children's Hospital. Uh, and that money keeps going up and, and I'm really appreciative of everybody who has put their hand in their pocket and, and donated in any way, large or small, uh, to a very, very worthy cause. With, with the news that the intercounty season is, is imminent, thankfully, uh, it means the window for you to donate is, is, is closing quickly because uh, once we get up and running, the podcast will be, will be shelved for a little bit again. So uh, if you have donated, again, I want to say a big, big thank you. If you have not, but you've enjoyed the content, I would encourage everybody to find the link in the podcast description below or on my Twitter page at Mike Quirk and, and put in any couple of euros that you can. Again, it's all going to Temple Street Children's Hospital and it's a, it's a really, really worthy cause. Okay, so on to this week's guest. Uh, Barry Solon is a man from Balladarine in Mayo and he's been involved in GA teams as well as rugby before eventually finding his home now at Arsenal Football Club in London. With a return to sport coming around the corner, I think this is an absolute must-listen for for coaches in terms of getting their players and teams back on the field safely and productively in the next couple of weeks. Barry has been involved in some brilliant coaching environments and and here he gives us the insights from inside the Arsenal Arsenal training facility. Uh, I think it's 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 a really, really top listen and loads in this for anybody with even a passing interest in sport to take something out of it. As always, be sure to like it and subscribe or leave a review. And don't forget to share this episode around on social media and use the hashtag Declan Kirby GAA Star to be in the draw for a signed copy of the kids' book. Okay, enjoy the listen. Okay, so Barry, thanks again for joining us, man. I appreciate your, your time. Um, do you want to maybe just for people that aren't overly familiar with you, Barry, if there is people out there that aren't, would you could could you give us a small little bit of a of your backstory, I suppose, and where you came from, from the GAA to the heady heights of the Premiership? Uh, yeah, no problem. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that wouldn't have a clue who I am, so I'll, I'll keep it brief. It's nothing uh, too exciting. I'm from uh, Balladrine up in Mayo. Uh, would have uh, 
growing up there, obviously, uh, sports mad kid growing up. Um, very lucky with kind of good influences with my parents. Uh, some fantastic coaches we had in the club. Uh, and then obviously had a, a love for sport. Initially, probably knew I wanted to work in it and thought initially I would do something like PE teaching because I guess at the time that was the only kind of viable thing that you thought where, you know, you could do something related to sport all day long. Uh, I would probably say at the time when I was at school, I don't think there was a, any professional athletes really in Ireland bar someone who might have been playing for the for the football team and over in the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, that kind of would have started off there. I was very lucky at home with good people around me and then ended up going to, to university over in St Mary's in, in Strawberry Hill there in Twickenham, which was uh, just really eye-opening for me because uh, we were very lucky in that there was you know, a lot of good lectures on the course and, uh, you know, you got, you know, we were grown up playing Gaelic football and, and soccer and basketball yeah. and everything we could at school, doing a bit of everything. And uh, that kind of opened my eyes into a lot of different things. You, you know, a lucky kind of thing based on location there was all yeah. the, the visiting teams to say, or that would be playing England at Twickenham. Right. They would use St Mary's for their preparation during the week. So you could walk out on a Tuesday morning going to lectures and like the All Blacks could be training there on the on the pitch in the middle of the campus. You know? So that kind of opened my eyes to that yeah. when you're thinking, right, well, there's somebody like who maybe is a physio or doing a warm up and they're actually, they're not doing an office job, you know, mm. on doing this stuff in the evening like you would have been yeah. in Ireland, you know, if they're yeah. actually, they get to do it like on the kind of Monday to Friday thing. So that would have been the first thing to kind of open my eyes really to it and got in with a great group of, group of friends and uh, people that went on to coach and, it's actually you no. Know, our head physio here at um, at Arsenal was in the same. Jordan Reese was in the same year as me at St Mary's. So like small right. world when you look at mm. that as well. Toby Booth uh, would have been our one of our lecturers on the on the sports science course who's since gone on and you know coached at a very high level in, in rugby union. He would have been coaching the university rugby team at the time. And then right. as a time, no one coached a, a number of teams in the Premiership here in the UK. So yeah, just opened your eyes to kind of all those things and was lucky then after that to go to. Athletes performance out in Arizona uh, and worked there for uh, a number of months where I just had like incredible mentorship, uh, probably gave me, you know, without, I would say gave me a 10 year head start in my career in that like I found out all the right stuff at a, a very good age with good mentors and, you know, even over the last kind of lockdown when all these Zooms might have been popular, you know, I've still been talking to those people and, yeah. and getting ideas and, you know, just seeing people that have like I would say forgot more about you know strength and conditioning mm. and performance than than I will ever know mm. and uh, just was very lucky at that stage then and that led to obviously a number of jobs and opportunities down the line that, that kind of stood me in good stead you know yeah yeah brilliant yeah and and uh Arizona yeah how how did that come about like I, I was reading just a little bit about that last night like that's that's a serious in to, to get in there and 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 to to be able to soak up the information that you were able to get out there yeah, I guess at the time I was kind of just, you know, keen as mustard to try and learn as much as I could. And it was probably at the just at the stage, I think now if you look at the internet, there's like that much information, it's pretty dangerous from mm. the training point of view, you know. Mm. And like what's good for you on Monday is bad for you on Tuesday. So yeah. if you're somebody as, as a lay person reading it, you know, so that was kind of at the, the dawn of all of that kind of in the mid 2000s where information was coming, you know, a bit more readily available rather than it just being in like research papers and looking through journals and things like that. So yeah. the, the kind of internet and the training tended to kind of just our communication between coaches and all those things that tried, tended to take off then. So uh, I got very lucky there. I applied for an internship um, and went and started there first as an intern, did a six month internship. 
And then that went really well. And like, you know, I was in there from, you know, you're in at half six or seven o'clock in the morning. You were coaching until seven o'clock in the evening. You were working with world, world-class coaches mm. now every day of the week. Like, you know, even still, I, I have still some of the programs saved on my laptop here and I look back through them and I thought, you know, we were doing things at the time because of this. And now I look at them now and think, oh no, I've learned them more and you were doing mm. them because of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. so uh, so that was great. And I kind of just kind of, a kind of thing where you, I just felt at home there and yeah. you, that you had met the right kind of people and you're like, right, yeah, this is definitely, you know, what I want to do. And I ended up working for for Atlas Performance that turned into Exos then, which came into a much bigger company. And uh, Mark Verstegen, the guy who, who set it up initially, had worked with uh, Jürgen Klinsmann, was coaching out in the States mm. and had seen the approach they were taking there with kind of NBA, NFL, ice hockey, you know, Major League Baseball. And he just knew Mark and uh, asked Mark, you know, could that approach be applied in a, in a soccer environment, which, you know, had been very heavy, like technically kind of weighted yes. prior to that. And rightly so, because it's, you know, it's a technically dominant sport. Um, so Mark asked the lads to come in with the German national team uh, back in the day, I think maybe in 2004. And it kind of took off from there then where they did a really nice. good job with them. And Germany actually had a very successful period. And that kind of opened new doors for them into the kind of football world. And that would have led to me then, Shad Forsyth, who's the, the head of performance here now at Arsenal, uh, been a huge mentor to me as well and a brilliant coach. Uh, Shad would have been doing the German team at the time. Um, and has since uh, came to Arsenal, so I'd have got an opportunity then to to work with him and with Nick Winkleman. That's that's there in Dublin now mm-hmm. with the IRFU. Nick would have been there too, and uh, just a load of things developed from there. Where you got just even though I was working, I was still getting educated, like as a byproduct yeah. of it, because you just had such good people that you were you were with every day, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's I'm lucky now in the, in the performance team that we have here at Arsenal that like. I'm certainly not the smartest one in the office, you know, and you're yeah. great when you're in a place like that. You just, you have that kind of ability to learn and develop on a daily basis, you know? Yeah, and and like the Arsenal one is is uh, is like obviously jumps out at people and, and like you're there, you're there how long now? You're pushing on for what, four years? This is my actually sixth season now, Six. yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, you kind of lose count with the COVID yeah, I Just suppose. By, you know? <laughs> Two years got there. Actually, you mentioned the internet a minute ago and that it was only starting off. I'm sure there's people listening to this kind of saying, what, what do you mean yeah. it's only starting off? Yeah. Has it not always sure. been there? Yeah, I'm sure the age there now, Mike. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But with, with, with the Arsenal stuff, like I'm sure people would be fascinated in terms of, you know, your... your kind of your your not your daily schedule but just how, how it maybe varies from from what we are used to over here in the ga context where you work all day in your day job and then in the evening time yeah. you're you're shoveling down a bit of food and you're getting out the door to training and you're training and you're trying to get another bit of grub and get home and get enough sleep um maybe just yeah. if you don't mind kind of giving us a bit of an insight into into how that contrasts with the with the story over there at Arsenal. Yeah. You're, you've just described my daily routine there for about 10 years <laughs> at, at one stage. So, yeah, yeah uh, actually, it's just kind of one of my friends was here, uh, who's a coach as well, was here visiting. And uh, I was giving the lads a, a tour of the training ground. Mm. And uh, he would be, he's from home, like from Balahadrin, he would be from a GA background as well. And uh, he said to me at the time, uh, he's a very sharp guy. And he said to me, he goes, you know, what's the best thing about this place here? And I was like, what? He goes, there's no floodlights. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what, what do you mean, kind of, you know? He goes, you guys get to come in here and, like, do this during the day and you can yeah. go home in the evening, whereas, like, just the kind of daily schedule you've just described there now was that, yeah. like, you know, that's the GA thing. You're up in the morning, you're going until, until nearly 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock at night and it's 24-7 and never stops, you know? So, yeah. yeah, that's kind of the difference, really. And then I would say, probably from a human point of view, 
not trying to pigeon everyone, if I would take the Mayo team, for an example, the lads that are, you know, are all from the same place. They're all from the same background. They've generally, you know, without putting them all in the one bucket, they've had all had a, like similar upbringing, you know, all Catholic, more, more than likely, went mm-hmm. to school in the same sort of football school, played with their club, played a bit of underage for Mayo and grew up and played senior. Whereas mm-hmm. if you look at the, at the squad we have here, like, oh, you have like a mix of different nationalities, races, cultures, languages, beliefs is a massive thing. You know, what's good for you, what's bad for you. Everybody's had a, a different journey to get there. So it's just like, that's the kind of real big difference. Yeah. Uh, but again, still, you're still dealing with people on a one-to-one on a human basis. And uh, they're the skills really that I would feel that all the kind of good coaches have and, and can relate to people no matter what the what the context of them might be, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, so yeah, that- daily-wise then it's, you know, we have a pretty hectic schedule um in terms of games and matches and you know one's pretty quick so it's like a big organization a couple hundred people working at the training ground on on a daily basis uh, in no, probably in normal times it's a bit different now because things are staggered and requires a bit more organization yeah but you know same as often like you know we'll be training uh, whether it's an early session or a late session there'll be a, a bit of period of meetings and and preparation and planning before that and then there'll be things to be done afterwards and and review it and kind of move on then to the next day. So we kind of into a good routine between the, the team we have here and the connection with the, you know, the performance team, like sports science, medical nutrition, the coaching team, the manager, people in psychology, you know, and all those kind of areas trying to get everybody to, to work as one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a serious, uh, that's a serious, it's like, uh, like you mentioned there are a couple of hundred people. That's a, that's a big, uh, that's a big backroom team in, in, in GA context. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, like they're not all like with, in direct contact with the players, but of course. just to see like, even like, you know, one of our physios like joked a couple of years ago there, he goes, we have more security than you too when we travel, you know, <laughs> because just the regulations that there are around it and, and things yeah. that have to be done. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's actually when you come into something like it compared to other things I've been involved in, you just realize how big of an operation it is. Mm-hmm. And, I would have grown up in a, in a GA mad background, you know, and I would have always kept an eye on the Premier League and played, you know, soccer up until I was like 18. I have to get out of the habit of saying soccer here because it's football, you know, yeah. so uh, I would have had an interest in it. But it's just when you come to somewhere like this and like you just see how big it is, like, and even when the likes of yourselves mention it there now, like, and, you know, the amount of people that are just Arsenal fans that I never had a clue about that were my own friends, you know, mm. and uh, you just see yeah, how big of a thing the Premier League is. We've been away, like, on, on pre-season tours in, in different parts of the world, and, you know, you come out of a hotel in, in Singapore at 10 o'clock in the morning, and there's, like, you know, a thousand people there, like, you know, and you're like, jeez, you know. Yeah. And yeah. We, I remember we played a game there a couple of years ago, and there was maybe 50,000 people out, and they're all, majority of them are all in Arsenal shirts, and you know, and the same thing, we were away in the States for a pre-season tour in different locations there, and you just move from, like, different cities, and it's the same thing. It's, yeah, it's crazy how big the, the yeah. Premier League is. It's know? vast, like, yeah, it's just so, oh, so vast that people are... Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. the world game, you know, if you think yeah. of Gaelic football is played in one country, AFL is played in one country, majority basketball is played in a few places, rugby is in, like, you know, certain set of nations, yeah. but like there's a football everywhere on the planet. You everywhere. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. And you know, the, the thing I suppose that jumped out of me there before we kind of get stuck into some of the rest of it is just the idea of of everybody. It's a, it's a really great point about everybody having such a different kind of background, uh, you know, that's in that dress room. It's a real kind of melting pot. Whereas the GA or, or any sport in Ireland really are generally from that same kind of cohort of, of a community. Whereas 
like how how even the language barrier and different things like how how do you when you're trying to do a bit of coaching how how does that kind of work like how are you aware or conscious of of those kind of differences yeah um i think like you know i've probably in a in an extended answer to that like i've been lucky in that i spent an awful lot of time with nick winkelman uh and nick's new book that's came out there now in relation to coaching and, and communication and all that side of things has like i've seen nick you know at the start of his journey on that probably back in 2010 or 2011 when we were coaching quite a bit together he changed the way i coach doing that stuff in terms of cueing and the way you talk to athletes and had a big effect on me and i think then you realize when you get into a position i would have looked after the poland national team for the european championships in in 2012 and like there would have been very maybe half a dozen of the lads there in the squad you know plus a lot of the coaches that didn't have any english right so you start to see then actually how much more than your voice that you can use as a communication tool Mm. and then you start to see you know how how important other areas of being able to communicate in terms of body language the the setup of coaching and being able to have fun with people introducing things in a different way when you can't use your voice you know in terms of demonstrations or the flow of, of a session or whatever or feedback using technology or whatever it might be you know mm. so yeah it's difficult uh, and like i picked up a small bit of like spanish and french and things like that so you can try and relate a little bit to the lads it's even to say hello to them or have a joke with them or give them sets and reps in the gym in their own language so you know there's a small bit of rapport there yeah and just trying to build that then over over a steady time we're pretty good knowing that the majority of the lads here have have pretty decent english uh, mm. but like you can tell by my accent listening here like it's fairly thick <laughs> irish accent so like I have to I have to slow down quite a bit and I'd be a bit of a, a fast talker and, and probably fairly lively at, at times like that when I'd be coaching. So I you know I can belt out a few instructions when you lose where you are some days and then you're like you're just putting your head in your hands going, Oh Jesus, like this is a disaster here because I haven't explained it right. And it's not the athlete's fault, it's my fault. Yeah. So they're just skills you're you know, you're making the mistakes every day and skills you're trying to, to pick up. But I guess it's just appreciating where people have came from, trying to find something in a bit of middle ground. Uh, I would find a lot of our lads, like, I don't really talk to them about football. Mm. Um, you know, you want to try and find other interests that people have, whether that mm. is, like, music, if it's, you know, movies, books, cars, property, politics, you know, whatever's going on. You're trying to find that common ground with people that you, you have a relationship with them and also trying to find out a little bit about them, you know, outside of football um, mm. in terms of their family. And, you know, we've had, uh, you know, people that haven't seen their parents now in a long time or seen their family in a long time because of COVID stuff. And same as anyone, the lads are normal human beings here that, have, you know, have problems. You, you know, it doesn't matter if you get paid £100 a week or 100 grand a week, you have the same issues as, as other people going on, like, you know. And some of that ends up in the public domain. Like there was even some of it this week where unfortunately a players, one of our players was away on loan. His mother passed away due to the to the COVID down in, in South America. So, you know, it's just it's the same with everyone. Like you're just trying to yeah. be a good human along with them and, and look after the lads as best as you can because they have a lot of, of pressures that's coming on them because of the, of the position that they're in, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was just I was trying to imagine your your Spanish accent there with the. With oh the, yeah, very yeah, very bad. I won't. I won't, don't. I won't give your listeners. I won't torment no. your listeners to that. No. No, no, but but I, I I'm interested in that stuff. Like that's that's because like, because a lot of the people that I've spoke to as well, obviously Barry, like a lot of those things have come back as well, and it's interesting. Like whether whether it is a hundred pounds or it's a hundred thousand pounds, like 
being being a good human and talking to people about stuff away from the actual sport that you're playing. And and like you mentioned, Nick Winkleman and and the, and the different cues about talking to athletes. Like, is there is there other things there uh, that are that are? Uh, I, I I just think that's a that's something. You know, I had a conversation with Joe Connor. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Joe. Joe would have. I know uh, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, about about just this idea of of. Um, you know, like really treating people as as humans before players, and I know I know people can can look at that and say it's a bit snowflakey and it's a bit whatever. But I, I'm really talking about you know how can we keep a lot of kids playing sport all the way up the line, as well as get the most out of our really top elite athletes. And you're somebody who's obviously working in a in a sport and in a context that's that's super elite in terms of Premiership soccer, and and these are still things that you're giving out here in terms of of of, of talking to people about their family and about their stuff, and and not so much talking about the actual nuts and bolts of of the football or the lifting technique you know all the time or whatever you know yeah yeah and like you're spot on there and, and joe spot on as well in saying that like because you know when i guess when you look back like probably one of the things i'd value most out of like being a coach you know for a, a pretty good while is that the relationships i've had with people and you know there's probably like I think it was in an old university lecture where there was a guy who described it to us in terms of like, you have kind of, you know, team cohesion and you have like social cohesion. So you can have a team where like, you know, everyone will play for each other, but let's say me and you, Mike, are on the, you know, the same team and we're at different ends of the spectrum and like, we just don't get on. Let's say, right? We have different interests. You know, you're a bit older, I'm a bit younger, I'm a bit older, you're a bit younger, whatever. And we have different pods or groups that we hang out in a team. And that's fine. Like, you know, every, you know, when you put like, 30 people into a room, everybody's not going to get on with each other. But then at the same time, if we were on that team and someone threw a box at you, you would know that even if I didn't like you, I'm with you and I'd have your back, kind of. So, And then you have the other, the other version of that where, like, on the social cohesion end of it, everybody gets on. It's mm -hmm. that time where you have that kind of really good group and it runs in the same directions. And, you know, there's either of them are, you know, they're both journeys where teams can, can be successful, you know. So uh, in that sense, you're trying to build relationships with people you know sometimes you get an athlete that you get on with a you know house like you get on like a house on fire and another guy is just you know fit that doesn't mean you still don't respect each other and and have a good relationship with them or a working relationship with them but again just develop those things and we have tried to to, to find out ways to do that so we've used like i'm not sure if you've heard of like an insights profile so mm -hmm. we've even used that with like our own staff and just finding out how to communicate with somebody if someone's kind of and again, you're not pigeonholing someone saying, you know, you're red, blue, green or yellow, but you're kind of getting a gauge of the way somebody would, you know, like to be talked to or prefers to be dealt with. Like, so we have players here who like real direct information. You need to do two sets of five at this percentage at this speed and they'll go and do it. You know, you've had another fellow who might come up and want a minute conversation with you and he knows what he needs to do, but he just wants to have a chat. So it's just yeah. kind of using those relationships and then being able to spot with the guys when they come in, if those people are off uh, in terms of like someone being maybe a bit too high or a bit too low or, you know, knowing what's kind of going on. There's a really good paper on that called Elephant Spotting uh, and uh, to kind of to give the listeners a, a bit of an idea of what's in it. So it's like a picture of an elephant, but there's like seven or eight people around the elephant in the image and they all oh, have yeah. blindfolds on. Yeah. So like someone is touching the tail, someone else is touching the belly, someone else is touching its ear, someone else is, you know, touching its trunk or nose or, or whatever so and they're all saying it's different things and like so in terms of dealing with an athlete 
that's where in our performance team, you're, you know, on coaching team, you're trying to keep an eye on, on everyone to say, well, you know, someone, there's other coaches in the team that have better relationships with people than I do. You know, so I might think a player is in such a mood or is in good form or bad form or is doing well or is down in the dumps because of X. And then all of a sudden you go and you find out, well, A, B and C is happening as well behind the scenes that like you hadn't a clue of, like, you know, and you, then you realise, oh, Jesus, like, half an hour ago I just jumped two footed into that and mm. it was the wrong thing to, to say or do so you're trying to just get that kind of rounded yeah. approach you know to communicate as best you can and I don't think that doesn't matter to me if you're if you're at home with like you know your basketball team there in Kerry or your club football team or if you're here with a Premier League team or rugby team them same principles kind of apply across all those things so like they're it's just like and you would have a lot of coaches that would do that very naturally yeah you know, Definitely. and they would be very good at it. And like, you know, the papers I mentioned there might be, you know, it sounds good or whatever, but like there'd be people doing that naturally every day of the week that are good coaches, you know? Yeah, yeah, and have, have a feel for it. And, and it's just, it was a point, I suppose, that we were making, you know, or that Joe was making as well, is that that coach education, you know, coach education in every sport tends to be about the X's and O's, like tends to be about the, the, the technique of your lifts, the technique of your kick, the technique of your whatever. Uh, and it's about, you know, how, what we do when the ball is here. And, and the idea is probably that coaching is moving a little bit, you know, towards that more um, people skills idea. And, and like the insights profile is an interesting thing there about like finding out how, how people kind of uh, best interact, I suppose, really, is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like then you realize like, um, right, if I approach this guy or this girl in, in this way, I can tend to get a bit more out of them. If I mm -hmm. apply that same approach to somebody else, I might get a bit of kickback off that and you know it doesn't go down so well. Mm -hmm. And again, you have to make all them mistakes. Like an old coach I worked with, he said experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. And like mm -hmm. that's it, like. You know, like yeah. that, the, the only way you can learn those things is to go and like jump two footed in and make the mistakes and then hope you don't repeat them, you know? Yeah. And, you know, they're only, less, they're only lessons in learning if you don't go and make the same mistakes again, like, you know? So For sure. uh, from that point of view, it's just like, yeah, trying to be, you know, present with what you're doing as a coach and then figuring out what works you know, in different settings and different scenarios and different contexts with, with what's needed for that person on that day. And yeah, I, and again, that comes down to, you know, building relations and getting to know people better. And then yeah. all of a sudden, then things are far more easier to play when you, when you have a bit of time. And that's tough here because like in our job, you know, when I look across the squad that was here now, um, when I arrived, I think uh, um, a ballpark now I'd say there might be only two or three lads left. Right. You know? So that, yeah, so that changeover in the squad is like, it's pretty high when you look at like two transfer windows and fellas mm. getting older, fellas retiring, fellas moving on. You know, a couple of lads been out on loan, all those kind of things. So that's in that's the space, kind of, in the space of six and, years, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, you're just, you know, even for myself here, when I came here first, like, you just need to be so adaptable because, like, my initial role would have been, you know, looking after mainly the stuff in the gym mm. because of the staff and setup at the time, uh, and then looking after rehab lads, more more or less indoors and doing all that stuff at the early stages of rehab before they went out on the pitch and then that kind of developed into looking after stuff kind of in a simple sense inside and outside right because of roles changed and you know so you were doing different things then it involved like you know even though you were always involved with the team then it involved taking more control at different stages of the whole group thing right and then you know you ended up traveling more with the team because roles changed again and there was different responsibilities and people needed to kind of plug holes and do jobs in different places and then you've ended up now where like when COVID hit and like 
someone's a close contact and you're down, you know, your your staff goes from 10 to 5 overnight when you get a text message say, look, at the lads aren't going to be in tomorrow. So then you go, right, uh, we're going to have to, you know, simplify what's going to happen tomorrow from a preparation point of view because yeah. we only have so many, many hands on deck, you know. Yeah. And uh, that ended up in, like, at the, the start of the lockdown where I think our initial thing when we got back, the lads were doing, like, individual running. And then I remember we had three pitches split at the training ground, uh, like beside each other. Right. And there was five pitch or five athletes and two coaches allowed on each pitch. And that was it. So there was like a 20 minute slot where you got it with a coach and a fitness coach. So there was three fitness coaches and three football coaches. So then the lads would have like, they'd have 20 minutes here with the first crew, they'd have 20 minutes in the middle and 20 minutes the other end. And then you were just like moving pitches as the session went and you're Jeez. legging it around, spraying down equipment in between and like, <laughs> Then, like, to try and act and make things better, like, someone is asking you to, like, cross balls and do all this. And, just, you know, I first touched, like, a trampoline as well. Like, so, when drills are dependent on my technical ability. Like, so, yeah. but that was it. You just had to adapt and get going and, and get stuck in. Like, and it was a great learning. And actually, you know, as a, as a, a coaching team here that, like, Mikel and the lads had only been, came in the door in, in you know, at Christmas time. Yeah, Christmas week they arrived actually, which mm. is like a you think of a, a busy period to come in and start yeah. a job. They were, you know, they had to hit the ground running and then we'd only got to March and everything was stopped, you know. Mm. So actually there was it was just so busy in the period up to that that it ended up being a, a productive thing for us to get to learn how the coaches work and yeah. work with them. And actually, you know, you're talking about building relationships with the with the players, but we had to go and build relationships with all the coaches and find out what they yeah. wanted and you know, try and get to the you know, get to the end route of where they wanted as best as possible. Yeah. 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 That's, and, and has the COVID stuff kind of relaxed a little bit over there? You're obviously flying through the vaccines a lot, a lot quicker than, than yeah, we are over here at the moment. Every, yeah. Yeah. It's probably, um, even that in itself is probably when we talk about the communication and relationships, when you look about the, the managing of information there and how like that's been get out to people and the way it yeah. is there now in Ireland, like that's another lesson. Like, you know, you hear the same coming out of a, a team meeting with 30 athletes. Oh, we said this. Did he mean that? You know, I'm not sure if that I agree with this or agree with that. And like, I look at the, the communication there now on the, on the political end of it and think, Jesus, like you can, you can just learn a lot from that as well in terms of, unfortunately, in many cases, and how not to do it, you know? Yeah. For sure, yeah, for sure, yeah. Barry. I suppose while 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 I have you, I, I'm conscious that every every kind of we have people listen to this and contact me from different sports all over the place, soccer and basketball. Every everybody is is uh, is is getting something out of it, which is great. But for for obviously we got a green light there last week that we're returning to sport in Ireland on the 26th. So all juvenile sport for under 18 years of age is down from from there. Hopefully the senior inter county will continue to to get the green light on the 19th. But maybe for people, Barry, like who obviously have have been uh, laid off of sport for a long time. I'm talking about the younger kids now, um, and now they're going to come back to hopefully a flurry of activity and training initially, and, and then into into games. Is there is there things for coaches? Like obviously those juvenile coaches probably won't have maybe you know a, a physical trainer or somebody with that kind of level of expertise, but just maybe a couple of boxes that those people would be able to tick to ensure that kids are are not getting injured or are they going to be able to play away? I suppose. Yeah, so I'd say on, on the youth end of it, they're obviously pretty resilient characters. Uh, and, you know, I know the activity levels have been down a little bit now in the last while, but I would say just get them back into it nice and steady. Uh, don't go crazy with them. Have as much fun as possible. And I know that's easy to say, but it's another thing to, to go and do it. And uh, so, again, just whatever sport they're playing, get the, get the ball or the implement into their hands or at their feet as, as quick as possible. And, 
you know, let them enjoy it. And as much of the brilliant physical benefits that it get from, from being out in movement, there's obviously huge mental and psychological and social impact there from them being out in the group and, and with their friends and all that thing. So for me, if I was a coach, uh, you know, working in that scenario, I'd want that to be the best hour of the kids there that are turning up to training. And I'd want them to go home and I'd want them to be looking forward to coming back you know, the next evening or the, later in the week, whenever it's happening again. So yeah, just making it as enjoyable as possible and letting them out and let them at it with the friends, you know? Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. And, and, and like to make it fun and enjoyable is, is the, is the key, obviously uh, on that, I suppose, Barry, and, and you're obviously well-versed in the GA context as well, but, uh, and, and, and it's the same with soccer, I'd imagine, but in terms of games based coaching, if we're talking about making it enjoyable and making it the best hour in the day, as you said, for the kids, um, in terms of kind of drills and 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 then the games aspect of it, where where are you where are you in that uh, like the physical requirements, Barry? Like, are we are we hitting? Can coaches hit a lot of the physical requirements um, through games as opposed to maybe doing a lot of drills or, or mass running or whatever? From a youth perspective, absolutely, yeah, mm. no problem. Get them out, do everything they want with the ball. You know, let them at it. They'll be playing enough yeah. sport and doing enough movement for the people that are involved that like the fitness will naturally kind of look after itself. So, you know, if you're in a position where somebody has the ability in your club or your local sports team that there's, you know, someone around who can give the lads or give the boys or girls a little bit of like athletic development in terms of putting basic movement patterns involved in a warm up, whether that be lunging or doing a push up or just basic stuff, being able to handle their own body weight. Uh, they're just good physical literacy things and athletic development things for, for kids to pick up. And, you know, unfortunately, like PE is just not there now for what it used to be. So uh, those skills are a little bit downgraded now from where they need to be. I think there was actually something a couple of years ago where the, the England cricket board had to go back and, you know, reassign different physical literacy things because actually the kids that were coming into them kind of didn't have what they would have expected right. at the time. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's if you can get some of that done with the kids at a, at a young age, absolutely brilliant for them, and will carry forward for years into the into their future careers and just into their own life of understanding how their body moves and 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 uh, having a little bit of an appreciation for physical activity and how good it makes them feel and how good it is for themselves. You know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. On an adult level, then. Uh, yeah, I think a games-based approach to training is like it's very simple. It's absolutely where the the best way to operate. Uh, from you know a technical and tactical point of view, I'd be asking, why are you doing that games-based approach to training? What, why is that that session on that day? Why is this them conditions in that game? And then you're looking at the how and the what. Then after that, with how you implement it. Um, but like if you're going out, you know, doing you know three v threes or ten v tens or whatever it might be, and that's not related to the way. You know, if you want the lads in leash to say move the ball by foot and not take a play as an example, or if you're working with a basketball team and you want them to press one way or you know play in a zone defense or whatever, if you can't look at every you know drill and every condition of a game that you're doing and say, well, that's why we're doing that. Mm. You know, so if I was to give you an example, I could look at like uh, say a training program in the gym from the warm up to plyometrics to speed and strength or whatever it is you're doing, and I could tell you that's why that's in there mm -hmm. for every one of them, and that's the context of it. And I think then the same thing, if you, you get out on the pitch, um, you know, you should if you're a coach planning that session or you're the manager or a coach of the team, you're working towards that overall goal. Like, you know, when you go, go up and take like a helicopter view of, of what the, the season is and how it's planned out, you know, that session that you're doing on a, a Tuesday or a Wednesday or whatever, that's just part of an overall organisation of where we want to be and where we came from, you know. 
So they're the big things rather than like the context of it, rather than it just been this individual drill or individual game. I'd be asking why is it that and how does that build into what you know we eventually want to want to get to, you know? Yeah. And, and on, on the physical end of it, then yeah, absolutely. You you design them correctly with whoever you're working with there, you can yeah, you can hit everything you need. You just need to make sure you're you know, if you're say let's say if a session where you want to cover a lot of distance and high speed running, right? As an example but you put 3v3 or 4v4 in a small box that's like 20 meters. Like, fellas, just don't cover the distance then to get what you want. So it's not that either of them things are wrong, whether you want to do high-speed running or you want to do 3v3 in a box, they just don't match as qualities that you're looking to get. So in a a simple way of describing training sessions, like you're kind of looking at training sessions, the way we'd organize them is you have one that's kind of big, that's in large spaces, large areas where people have to cover ground and exposes mm-hmm. you to that type of a stimulus. Then you have one that's probably small and closer in where there's a bit more agility, change of direction, using your skills in a tight space. And then there'd be another one then that's probably a bit more of a hybrid where you have those, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, I see a lot of training sessions that tend to end up as hybrids. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem with that then is if you're trying to chase a quality if you're doing hybrid work all the time, you never get the chance to kind of overload one area where you might get a benefit and a response and an adaptation in your body too, that like both from a physical perspective and a technical and tactical perspective, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. In, in, in terms of just jumping back to the, to, to your context there in Arsenal, like when you probably don't do a huge amount of uh, like on the, are they playing like you, like at the moment you're, they're playing games like twice a week when the season is going on, it must be difficult to, to manage that load and then to try and get a little bit of the work on the field. I, I, I'm just like, when you're talking about a game there, that's a little bit bigger, a little bit spacer. Are, are you, are you playing 11 v 11 in training or is that a five V five game with a bit extra space or what way do you kind of manage those? Yeah. So again, that will come down to like on, on what will be the focus of that week and what will be the focus of that session. And then on, from like a coaching point of view, what do the coaches want to get? And that would be the same. in like, if it was, soccer basketball rugby whatever what do they want to get from that session from a technical tactical point of view and then from the physical end of it what do we need the lads to get there is this a session where we're not really too worried about what they get because and we, we know what's coming later in the week or we know what we've done earlier in the week or is like right lads this is a big day here today you know we need to get a, a match load of running into them in terms of high speed and sprint or it's a day where we need to get a match load of, of change of direction into them or whatever and then that will dictate what um what's ha- what happens kind of in terms of the way the coaches would go about planning and that again all of that is done like 99 percent of that is done with the ball in a tactical sense yeah. with the coaches and then maybe like if someone needs a speed stimulus or there needs to be a, a blocker running that takes like you know two or three minutes to to do at the end of training or to top someone up to keep them up to the level where we want them that's the way we'll, we'll kind of try and go about it. and that's to me that's just the simplest approach to it because i would prefer in a in a in a tactical and technical sense that the coach gets what he thinks he needs mm. but that's you know across any sport and then if i look at the physical stimulus that it's you know let's say it's 90 or 85 percent match that well a couple of minutes uh you know doing a little bit of extra work i'll top that up without complicating the life of the session to you know so it's making it too difficult for the coaches you know yeah yeah, the top the top ups are, are interesting. You see, you see a lot of uh, most teams now, GA teams, and, and and certainly the Premiership teams were probably the first that you saw. As soon as the game concluded and teams went into the dressing room, suddenly someone like you <laughs> appeared back out in the field yeah, with yeah. four or five guys to, yeah. to top them up and, and hit them with a couple of minutes of running. Yeah, 
Yeah, and you're just looking then at that sense and that, like, you know, you take in the context of that there of where the rhythm of the training week would be. So if you have someone, like, who hasn't played uh, and then the schedule is that you, like, have a day off after that, you know, well, that's two days that those people won't have mm. done at, you know? Mm. And then the other thing is if, if lads don't run after a game and we have a, they want to train the following day, well, then if that didn't fit in the schedule, all of a sudden you have someone there who's a sub who may play the next game, but then all of a sudden, let's say the game is on Thursday, we play Sunday, they don't top up after Sunday, but they want to train Monday, then they end up training Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then they're going into a game on the fourth day of training. You know, now you can do that too. You know, there's plenty of ways to skin the cat there, but you're just trying to keep people in the rhythm of training where you have the, the right blend with the way the coach wants to work and the way we want to manage the, the physical model of them as well. So sometimes we run after training or, or after games and other, other times we won't because we know the lads will be training in a smaller group the following day and they'll be off the day after that and the schedule allows that. So you're just mixing it around there to try and get the best bang for your buck and, and things like that, you know? Spe- speaking from personal experience, there's nothing worse than being caught out oh, of the dressing no. room for those runs afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think even as a coach, you know, you know, I would say to the lads when we were doing it, I was straight in, I go, look lads, we have a bit of work to do. I know it's shit, but like, yeah. it's going to take 10 minutes. I wish there was another way to do it, but there isn't. And I, like, rather than go in, like with the sergeant major cap on you, like saying, come on, we need to go on. Yeah. You know, fellas are already in, in like bad enough humour and again, <sighs> You know, there's a couple of days if we've lost a game and you ask someone to go run and I get the two fingers and I just go, right, that's it, we're not doing it today. And away yeah. you go, you, you know, yeah. you, you know, you play your cards as you're dealt some days, like, you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. that's just the way it runs sometimes. Psychologically, like, you know? yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's yeah, a tough ask for yeah. fellas, but physically, yeah, it is, obviously, yeah. it's, a, it's a necessary yeah. utilize for us. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's funny. I, I was talking to um, Nick Potter, Nick Potter there a few weeks ago as well. Nick is the, he's involved with Duke, um, uh, Duke basketball over, over in the States. And, uh, uh, he was just saying about about the same same pretty much the same stuff you're you're saying there in terms of the why like you know that that if if you're doing something from from whether it's a, a sporting or a coaching context in terms of the game or the tactical or the technical as you mentioned or the physical side of it like really coaches that that question is is it's so basic but it's 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 so necessary to really understand why you're doing it so if that's an under an under 10 team or a, or a senior club team or a senior county team or whatever it is, like that question should be something you're asking yourself pretty much every session really, isn't it? Oh yeah. And that's a great book and uh, called Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Yeah. Uh, and you know, for people who maybe don't want to read the book, he's got a couple of very good TED talks and clips on YouTube with that. So it's a kind of a great resource just to kind of get your head around that. And yeah, that's the same really in, in terms of the context of like, how you're putting things together and the journey you want to go on as, as a team or as an individual and relating those things then to what you're doing on a daily basis. So you're getting the best use and bang for your book out of the time that you're the work that you're putting into it, you know? Mm, yeah, definitely. And tell me like what the GAA context again, um, like where I suppose, was there stuff you took from that that's after, you know, helping you where you are now, like where, where, where were the, what were the aspects I suppose of your coaching within the GAA that have kind of, and rugby, obviously, that have led you and, and to be so successful where you are now. Oh, yeah. Like, I had, uh, geez, I've, when I look back at it now, it's only when I was <clears throat> putting a couple of notes together there about kind of things, that the questions you sent on, you know, about, because I forgot some of the stuff myself, you know, and uh, right. uh, you're just thinking back at funny times and happy memories with a lot of them, like, you know, and yeah. a big thing from your from your coaching journey is, like, the relationships you have, but, like, you'd still get an odd text from, you know, people from, 
you know, if they have an injury that you haven't seen in years, like, you know, and they'll be looking for a bit of advice or they're not feeling great or they need advice with something else. Like, like yeah. part of it there is like connections you might have to be able to help someone get tickets for a game or be able to help someone get a job and, you know, or you might be invited to a wedding or all those kind of things. And, mm. you know, it's great if you're, you know, winning all Ireland's or FA Cups or whatever it is, or Six Nations or any of that kind of stuff. But like, that's the part of it for me that the, that the magic is in, like, you know, with the, the relationships and the adventures you have with people, you know, and yeah. I wouldn't, when I was along with the Mio team there, and I was an example, or in Kildare, and, and Alicia spent a few years there as well with the lads, like, I would still keep in touch with a lot of them lads, like, just great fellas that would have been your friends if, anyway, you know, mm. um, so I would think in the GA setting, uh, I was very lucky growing up in that John O'Mahony just lived up the street from us at home, and would have been family friends with us, uh, so like, I would have been away back in, in the late 80s with John when I was an eight or nine year old filling water bottles with the Mayo team when they were in the All Ireland final in 1989 and been at training and collecting footballs behind the goals and doing all those kind of things like you know so and it would have been saying then with the with the local club team Brian Tansey uh, was a guy in Ballahadreen there now and I would have been the same class as as Brian Junior his son and Brian like would have coached us for everything like Gaelic football soccer gymnastics basketball done all the community games like just unbelievable character and yeah, I was just blinded by luck to be the same age. You know, as his son, like so, right. like he would have just like I have a picture of Brian that I've put up like in a couple of presentations I've done before, and like to give you an idea of him and, and how he was, like he would have played every position, played Gaelic football, would have coached the gymnastics team. The picture I have in a presentation is him up on the chimney of the house, like doing a headstand. You know, just <laughs> incredible fella, like you know, and would have like this. If you look at the guys that would have came through our club there now, well, Pierce Hanley would be one off playing down in the AFL. Andy Moore would be another one that's played with me all there in an Atlantic career. And there's like we won a, a couple of championships there with Balladrine back in, in 2008 and 2012 from like the first time since back in the 70s. And like Brian would have put every player through his hands growing up. And then John O'Mahony would have been involved with the coaching of the team and would have been in St. Nathie's as a teacher when he was involved with Mayo and then subsequently with, with Leitrim and Galway. So those people like would just have had a massive influence on you and would have also shown you like when you saw John up the street that he was coaching at the highest level, that was someone like that you knew it wasn't someone in the Premier League or mm. Alex Ferguson over on TV that you, you thought you'd never see or or whatever it might be. So yeah, you got, I got great experience there in, in the GA sense um, and I love it. Like that was my sport growing up, you know, uh, or my kind of family and group of friends at home would be, would be GA mad. Like, yeah. And then obviously the rugby then, when you had Bernard Jackman on a couple of weeks ago, mm. I coached with Birch up in, in Clontarf there for a couple of seasons. And that was a great experience for me. I still have like a group of best friends over there you now from like the lads I coached there for a number of years. And we won a couple of titles there and it was great crack, you know, just, and I saw a different side to it because I would have thought the GA was like so serious when I look back at it now, even at a club level, like, you know, and then I'd see the lads playing rugby and going out and having a good night Saturday night doing a bit of recovery Sunday and then roll back into training the following week and there wouldn't be a word said about it. Like. And yeah. for me, like the social environment of that, like I was looking at that thinking, oh Jesus, we like need this with the GA team. Like, you know, I would have felt we were light years behind it, you yeah. know, in terms of the social dynamic of the team and the crack that could be had and, you know, all those kind of things. Like, and not just stuff that involved around going out drinking or whatever, but just yeah. like the, the culture they had and and that Different. kind of stuff that was a oh, massive for me a massive learning for me yeah and to be able to apply that you know and uh, then you see other people then that would have been involved in, in individual sports where it's different and they kind of you look at their preparation whether it would have been in golf or boxing and you see the way you know the travel demands that are on them you know starting early finishing late you know as an example having you know 
fighting a couple of times in a week at an Olympics or a world championship mm. or, you know, having an early tea time on a, you know, a Thursday and Friday playing golf and a late tea time on a Saturday and Sunday if you make the cut for the weekend and how that fits with you. And yeah, you just, and you're trying to blend all those things then mm. to, to kind of think, right, where could I learn that like and apply it to, to somewhere else, you know? Yeah. And probably a simple thing then, like if I look back at the, at the, the Mio team, I think like the 2017 season is a, is a, is a great example and learning point for me because I would have seen, you know, we, I think we ended up playing 10 games that summer. And like before, if I hadn't worked in the Premier League at that stage, like I would have thought, geez, that was a bit. And I remember the narrative around the team that summer was, oh, they're going to be tired. They can't keep this going. They're going to get beaten this weekend or whatever. And I was actually looking at the lads and thinking, no, it's better we're getting here. Like, yeah. you know, like, you know, what better conditioning and preparation for competition could you have than, you know, 10 games? Like, and, yeah. You know, I would look at players loving the National League as an example there because they get seven or eight games in 11 weeks and then they have to wait months, you know, before the championship comes around. Whereas we might play seven or eight games in a month here with Arsenal, you know. And yeah. lads can, once the lads get used to that, they can do it. And like yeah. uh, like an example for me, and it's only one small part of it on the physical centres, I remember the replay with like Kerry in, in 2017. Mm. And that was a six-day turnaround. Mm. And like, I, I think at the time, like Kerry would have been in a normal... Uh, realm of playing like Munster Championship and, and came through and maybe played two or three games and having that gap between games you know so giving, giving you a couple of days to recover and then getting going again for a period in the middle of that and getting ready for the next one and at the time I think that was our ninth game and we had had two replays and two extra times you know and uh, we probably got lucky in the middle of it a small bit because we played Roscommon in Crow Park and we nearly got caught but just a bit flat from being on the road and uh, we eventually got a draw out of it and there was a gap then, actually, because of a bank holiday weekend the following weekend. So we got eight days. Uh, we didn't play until the Monday. And uh, the la- you could tell we were just tired because all our games had been away. Um, they'd been on the road. It was basically travel Saturday or Friday, play, get back late Saturday night, do recovery Sunday. And just from a freshness point of view, lads yeah. were straight back into work then on Monday morning. You yeah. know? So we got that eight-day break in the, in the replay there. I think we might have trained once in the middle of that. And uh, I think we had a kick around in Dublin on the, the Sunday evening before we played Monday. And you just felt that evening then, right, yeah, the lads have got a new kind of lease of life here. They've actually got away from each other for yeah. a while. And there hasn't been video meetings and there hasn't been travelling up and down the country and all that. And then by the time we came to Kerry and played them, uh, you kind of knew then, right, the six-day turnaround here, like, we're going to be good to go. We're used to playing games week yeah. to week. And, you yeah. know, they're obviously not. And that's not because... I don't anything different to say on the fitness than the Kerry fitness coach would have done or the Kerry coach has done or whatever. We just, you know, by the design of the way things work, we had just played matches and, and they hadn't. And I would have felt then like as as that game wore on, our lads would just had been exposed to that over the over the time. And that's where you come back to your games-based approach to yeah. training. Like if you look at the physical demands of the game, whatever sport it is, does training at certain times, doesn't have to be all the time, but does it expose the lads to what they're need to they're going to need to be able to do in yeah. a in a competition setting, you know? Yeah, that's like, it's it's so fascinating though and the, the whole misconception around that games versus training. Like, there's nothing players want to do more than play games. Like, that's oh, it. Oh, yeah. 
you know, yeah, train, yeah. training is great and all, and 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 it'll be fine to an end to a means. But the mean, like the end is getting to is getting yeah. to the game. And like yeah. I remember that summer, you're talking about playing ten games and thinking, oh, they're going to be tired. They're going to be tired. You're tired of going training. Like it's the training that that Jesus Christ every night. Like I, I got a three week break between this game. You're sick mentally. You're drained more than physically. Yeah. But playing games, like sure, that's that's the easy part. That's the enjoyable, fun part out of it. You know, it's it's amazing how people still have that perception that they're going to be tired from the game and that, that, that it's not the training, you know, it's, it's mad. Yeah. And, and I, I look at the, again, the 2017 season as an example, I would say probably the old Dublin final that year is probably, I would say the most intense, like when you just look at like the conditions that day, like it was a lovely fine day, mm. you know, there wasn't a wind blown. It was a gorgeous day to be out on the pitch and you're know, playing in Crow Park, obviously playing against probably the best team that's ever played. And then, we have 10 games under our belt and like mm. that's probably for me as, as a competitive environment that's as like probably as as high as I've seen like mm. Gaelic football being played like you know yeah. Yeah, it was fast the speed of it and you know it was, oh, it yeah. was... and then you look at the, the you know through a couple of different events you look at the last 15 or 20 minutes of the game it's down to 14 men each and there's yeah. more space and there's more running to be done and your skills are more up to, are under scrutiny then and like a mistake just you know yeah. costs or a, a physical error or tactical error or technical error, you know, has the ability to, to be costly to your team. Yeah. So they were, that was just a fascinating competition for me and contest, you know? Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, I suppose as we start to wrap up, Barry, is there, is there any couple of random thoughts that you, you want to get out of your head in terms of this whole coaching gig and, and, you know, the performance idea, maybe some resources, any good books there that you, that you've read that, that would be good for our coaches to, to, to have a read of and, and maybe help themselves out in their own context? Yeah, and like, you know, I think, you know, if there's two words that kind of grate me a small bit at the minute, like it's high performance. Like they're mm. just two words I cannot stand because I I think it's the biggest load of bullshit going, you know? And like, for me, like performance is around, you know, doing the basics really, really well. And if you're like, if you think, you know, all this stuff that would have came out about like one percenters and, and marginal gains and all that, like probably a nice analogy to that is like, if you've heard the big rocks story, you know, about putting, like, yeah, are you familiar with that? Or Give it to me there. So basically that's the kind of analogy in that if you have a jar in front of you, right. And, uh, you know, you put a couple of rocks into it and you say, is the jar full? Yes, it is. Then someone oh, yeah. puts like smaller sand into it. Yeah. Okay, it's not full. Then you think it is full. Then you put water into it and you properly fill it up. And I would see a lot of like this stuff that we we tag as high performance or one percenters. Like we're putting sand in before we put the rocks in. So like, I don't care if you're wearing leggings or doing an ice bath after training. If you don't know why you're out in the pitch and if you don't know your role tactically or if you're not ready physically to be able to go and play. And I think that's that's kind of like complicated and made things like. You know, where if you're a normal person, like reading that, you're thinking you're way off the pace, like, you know, because we're not doing all this, but actually it's the opposite. If you're going out and, and running good, enjoyable coaching sessions that have a good purpose to them and the principles involved in, in the way you want to play and those things are related, whether that be at, you know, youth level or, or adult level or whatever it is, you're you're doing a great job, you know, and they would be the things I would say to to stick to the to the basics. Mark Verstegen, the guy I mentioned earlier on, who set up athletes performance in initially out in the States, Mark had a, a saying where he said, like, simple things done savagely well. And, like, there's nothing complicated in that. You know, if you, you know, talk to athletes and listen to their preparation, like, it's it's the ability to be able to do the basic things all the time and, and do them well. And, yes, can, you can come and put the, 
you know, the cherry on the cake, then if you need to and get all those things right, but you need to make sure the foundations are solid first and that you have a good process with how you're working and that's built around the principles that you're in, you know? Uh, and yeah. like, there's probably a couple of things there. That start with why is a good place to look if you're kind of just for a little bit of a process for yourself of how, how designing things in in like a team and development setting, Good to Great is a brilliant book by Jim Collins there that, you know, compares companies and organizations that had, you know, the exact same opportunities, but one took off and one didn't. And they go into the factors that were common things between the ones that took off and the ones that didn't. And like a simple thing at the, at the beginning of that is like, get the right people on the bus. And, you know, it doesn't matter if they're in the wrong seats, just get them on the bus. And anyone who's not right on the bus, get them off the bus. And then you can start to decide where you're going to drive the bus and you can start to decide who needs to sit in the front seat or who needs to be the driver or who needs to be yeah. looking out the back window, you know, <laughs> but you need to get the right people on it and you need to get the right people off it. Um, and like when you go through those books and look at them, like how to win friends and influence people is a book that's written just about life. Mm. But like that's the best coaching book, you know, I've ever read. And I think right. one of the early, one of the early lessons in that is like, you know, to be more like a dog and like, you know, what do you think of when you see a dog? Well, he turns up and he's smiling and his tongue is out and his tail is wagging. Like, you know, if you meet <laughs> someone like that in front of you, like as a coach, yeah. you know, you're going to have to be a, a fairly odd human being not to give that person back some of the energy that they're, that they're giving to you, you know? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that's great. And I think on a coaching perspective, then like Bill Walsh's book was a great read for me. Mm. Uh, Phil Jackson. Uh, I think if you look at the, the legacy book that was brought out by the All Blacks, um, you know, it was a bit airy-fairy, some of that to me, because like, you know, you're there basically applying models to having a sport that's basically, you know, close to being, well, it's the most popular sport in the country. It's been played there for a hundred years. So I take yeah. it with a pinch of salt, everything that's kind of, kind of in that. But if they, even in that book, your man who writes it goes back to reference people like Jim Collins, Bill Walsh, Phil Jackson, like, and, you know, people think now, if you read Phil Jackson's book, I'm sure being a basketball fan, you have like, he talks about them doing like group meditation and yoga and all that stuff back in the eighties. No, and people think they're doing it now and they're revolutionary, but someone else was doing it like 30, 40 years ago, you know? So like, yeah. I would say there's not a whole lot new out there. Yeah. I think technology has caught up to put like ideas that were in people's heads. You know, they can now maybe measure things or get a better appreciation of what they had. But again, that doesn't mean everything that you measure is important as well, mm -hmm. like, you know, and that comes into like your, especially on the sports science and things with like GPS and all those kind of things. They are great tools, but you just need to know how to use them. And I love them. You know, we use them every day of the week here, but we know how to use them and we know the context to use them in. Uh, and we know the context to be able to, you know, to feedback to players. I spoke with a coach that was working with an inter-county team last year and he was getting a bit of grief off the manager because, you know, the, the numbers weren't going up as they were playing games, uh, but they were winning. You know, and you're, <laughs> like, right, like, you know, that's the game. Like, if we're winning by five points here, like, the lads are not going to be legging it up and down the pitch. Like, we just need to know, at you know, in the worst possible scenario from a physical point of view, can the lads do the work if they're required to do it? And then, yeah. you know, those training, that's why I would be using GPS, really, because I, before, when I started off coaching teams and been involved, like, you had a stopwatch and a, and a trundle wheel, you know, and you're gauging really, like, what you know you thought you were like mm. uh, i think the nice thing it has don't know because it like probably in the history of the snc and the fitness industry like fitness would have been an easy target to throw under the bus when you know you lost it when things yeah. went well you hear a head coach coming out or a manager going, we're not fitness whereas now you can say well actually we are fitness so you can't use that excuse you know yeah. so yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's kind of like it helps in that sense and then an overall way that you would build a team and build a like the 
the development of a team, you know, physically, technically, tactically, you're using that as a tool. And again, that's then dependent on the sport. So like, I would look at, like I have a new appreciation for like football now over the last like five or six years. Like it kind of hit me when I was with the Poland national team of like how technically good the lads are. And you kind of don't realize it when you watch training and they're all at that level. Mm. But when you put someone into it or a younger player comes up to play from the academy to make up numbers and things like that, and you see somebody who's right. maybe not that, at that level, like, Jesus, they stand out like an absolute... Really? Like, that's like, when you watch a Premier League game uh, on TV, like, you just look at them all really being, to a degree, like, without pigeonholing everybody, like, you have different levels of it, but they're all up to a certain standard. Yeah. And it's only when someone isn't to that standard that it kind of stands out, you know. Mm. Uh, I was actually told, I hope he won't mind me mentioning this now, but there was a leaders' conference on here a couple of years ago uh, in Dublin Twickenham, and I was at it, and I was actually talking to Michael Murphy from Donegal at it, and he's a Liverpool fan. And uh, I can't remember the player he said, but he was giving one, I think it was like Yossi Benayoum or something, he was giving him grief, like sitting at home watching and thinking, this book is just not up to it, like, you know. And he said then he was at a game, and like he had a couple of seats that were down near the pitch, you know. And he was out playing on the right winger at right back. And like he said, there's a ball just getting flung out to him like at 100 miles an hour. And he said in one touch, he's moving his body, he's touching the ball, he's opening up space for himself and he's going forward along the sideline. And he said it wasn't until he like he saw that, yeah. where he's like, oh my God. Like, And for me, like the stuff that our lads do in training before they even touch the ball, like to set up their body to open passes to themselves. And then I'd hear a coach saying to somebody, I don't want you to receive the ball that way because if you receive it this way, you're cutting three passes off for yourself. Right. You know, with how we want to move the ball and play it. So, mm -hmm. like, I've just a new appreciation for, like, the technical and tactical ability of, of waiting to that. Like, and I could, we could be running the lads, they could be the fittest team in the world, but, like, if you don't have that, yeah. you, know, you just can't survive. And that, to me, then, there's probably a little bit of an opposite scale of that in the rugby and the things and that, like, you could be the most highly skilled rugby player going, but, like, if, if you can't tackle or you're not physical enough to be able to stop someone, well, then the opposition is going to become down your channel all day long and you're a weakness to your team. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter. In that case, it doesn't matter how good you are technically. Yeah. You might not be able to be played. Like So I would look at like probably, I would say, football or soccer and basketball being on one stage, one end of that kind of scale. Uh, and I think the stats in your man's David Epstein's book, the, the sports gene are like if you're over seven feet anywhere on the planet, you have something like a 93% chance of playing in the NBA. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah, yeah, you know, so that's kind of one end of the spectrum that like they are just you have to have them things to be able to play. And then the opposite end of it is like if you play in the NFL or you play rugby union or rugby league, you need another set of things to mm -hmm. be able to play. Mm -hmm. And then I'd probably look at like maybe. Hurling is probably a bit closer to soccer. Mm. Gaelic football is probably a little bit more closer to AFL, but it's probably a little bit more closer to rugby. Mm. And they're just on that scale. And I think then your preparation and your planning and how you're going to put things together, it needs to have that kind of what's the balance between the technical, tactical weighting of one side and the physical weighting of the other side. And then as a coaching team, if you're talking about the manager, the coach, the tactics, the physio the recovery the fitness like how do you blend all those things in together to kind of make the best cake that you can you know yeah yeah that yeah. that uh that michael murphy story about yassi ben Ayun, yeah 
I, I remember I went to I went to United game a long time ago now and and I was with a guy who was he wasn't the greatest Paul Scholes fan like he he just didn't maybe appreciate he didn't appreciate Paul Scholes the way that others appreciated him and he watched yeah. him playing for about 15 minutes and like that was the last he'd ever hear a bad word being said about Paul Scholes because exactly the same point when you're watching it physically and you're there in the stadium and you see a ball being drilled at someone along the ground and it's it's a touch and the ball is dead and now he's spraying at 60 yards somewhere else. Yeah. You you just get a better appreciation of the actual level oh, of, yeah. of technique and skill that's involved in that kind of stuff. Yeah, and when I when I came here first, uh, he's no longer with us now, but Santi Cazorla was here with us at mm. the time and like Santi is like, five foot six or seven you know uh is not exceptionally quick or have any exceptional physical qualities like he obviously had the physical qualities to be able to play in the premier league but like yeah. his technical ability mike is just like i couldn't tell you if he's left foot or right foot really? you know i've seen the lads doing set pieces of training where santi would say take an outswinging ball with his right foot and you know put in a few of them and the lads would say put in a few inswingers and he'd just step the other side of the corner flag and swing the other one in with his left and you're just oh, like different level you know yeah 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 so like yeah, I just have a new appreciation for that like and then I would if you take the Dublin team as an example no like I think technically like you know everyone talks about how strong and physical they are but like their skills are like mm-hmm. top level you know and it's the same and if you go across like the All Blacks have all these physical you know abilities of like big islanders involved there and good heritage and fellas that have lifted weights and when there were kids in, in the school system there and all those things but they still have all the skills to be able to, yeah. to execute the things that they need to do and that's a common theme across like any good team if it's hurling Gaelic football as it was you know whatever yeah. it might be just and again that's just you're baking the cake there as the coach and, and, and the manager and trying to get all the pieces of the pie kind of put together properly like, you know yeah and like the you mentioned the Dublins and like obviously Dublin Physically, they are ahead of they, they are ahead of other teams, but they are ahead of them in a skill in a skill set as well. And and like it's a bit like that rugby analogy that you use there about the, the the really skillful rugby player who maybe doesn't get the chance to display his skills because his physicality isn't up to the level to be able to compete with that. And and I think that's that's the challenge for everybody with Dublin is yeah their skill set is really high, but you also have to try and match that or get close to that physicality to allow your your skills to be able to, to show themselves as well. I suppose. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and even on the GPS thing, last thing, Barry, I'll let you go. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I, I didn't want to get too bogged down into the GPS side of things because we, we we've kind of spoken about it before. But for okay. me, I, I look at the GPS as as a, and there's lots of club teams now and everything are using GPS around here, obviously. But I I, I just think they're a really they're great for for allowing you to run the kind of games based session. And have the certainty that yeah, we are actually ticking these physical markers as opposed to we got to hit 15k here, lads. We if we're not running yeah. 15k in the game, we're not doing what like that kind of stuff is bonkers, really, isn't it? Bonkers, yeah, yeah. And I think from you, like if you take your position there, like as a coach, you're looking at you know a match report, and you have a number of those things measured over a couple of things. You're trying to relate those things then to the way you want the team to play, you know, when you have the ball, when you don't have the ball in transition. Uh, so you're trying to think, right, for me to be able to get the lads to be able to execute this game plan, these are the technical and tactical things we need to be able to do. But then these are the physical characteristics that are going to back this up. And you then want to be able to look at that. If that's like, if that's the event that we're getting or the competition that we're getting ready for, you want to be able to look at that, at that say, well, at the right times, our training is matching 
mm. you know, what we're, what we're going to need here across, you know, whatever key metrics you decide, if it's like, you know, high speed running, explosive distance, meters per minute, whatever it is. So you know then that at that stage, your preparation is matching what the competition is going to yeah. be. And for me, that's the key thing yeah. what you're using that for. It's not to say whether someone, you know, has run 5K or 10K or 15K. It's like, you know, what is the context of that into relation to the, to the role? Like, and if you take, like, for instance, you take someone who plays cornerback or corner forward, they're never going to run as much as someone who plays in the in the middle eight, like, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, you have halfback coming in running, you know, 11K and 1,500 metres of high-speed running and X amount of sprinting and all that kind of stuff. And you have someone maybe doing half that behind them but that's that person's job yeah and then another thing you have then with communicating that to the athletes is like you know it's okay like i'm not asking you to to be that guy yeah. you know you know yeah no and there's a little bit of it then like if someone needs to change position can they go and do it you know because and then you're that's again comes down to the plan of your training if you have someone who's playing cornerback and then all of a sudden they need to be able to go and play in the halfback line and they need to be able to get up and down the pitch for for 70 minutes if, if someone else is injured or whatever so yeah you're taking those things into account of how you're putting the team together then and how you're putting the preparation plan together but again yeah. that all works then with like the coaching end of things and like you know seeing what you can get out of games and then coaches you know rather than I suppose in some cases like being a little bit wary of the GPS mm-hmm. is rather going using it as an, an education thing for, for everyone to be able to say right if we play 5v5 with these set of conditions it gets us like 110% of the game for 10 minutes on these metrics. If yep. we play 3v3 in a small box under certain conditions, that takes different yeah. you know, considerations for us. And they're all relevant. Mm-hmm. It's just putting them together on the right time and the right, at, at the right part of your week or the right part of your, your preparation schedule. You know? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, I, again, that comes up with like technology catching up with like ideas people have in their head and then somebody you know, not using the context of it and maybe misinterpreting the data or mm. it, the, the message kind of of what it actually is getting a little bit lost in the in the in the application of it, you know yeah like a tool a tool to enhance your training is is probably the best way to describe gps as opposed yeah. to a stick to be beating people over the head with because they didn't run you know in in whatever whatever you wanted them to do you know but uh, i think that's yeah. like actually you look it's funny stuff you look at a lot of the premier league uh, you know data and like the teams that, in a lot of cases, the team that win wins runs less because they have yeah. more possession. Yeah. So you have the other team chasing them around the place. So like, you know, then that's where like it gets interesting when you're having discussion with coaches because yeah. they're like, okay, we ran more but we didn't win, and you kind of say, yeah, because running has nothing to do with. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or it only has like, it, sorry, it's not that it has nothing to do with winning. I'm, I'm wrong there, but like it has, it's a piece of the pie, you yeah. know, and it, but it's not all of them, like and. Uh, that's a little bit then from a from a coaching perspective, like of the, the kind of you know, if and doubt we need to do more and like more is not always the answer, like, you know. So mm. it's kinda you can either fire a shotgun at the wall or you can fire a laser beam at the wall and get things correct, you know. Yeah, okay, very good. Uh, and tell me, Barry, just before I let you go, like has this whole thing evolved a huge amount in, in the last 10, 20 years? Yeah, I think just like you look at what it is now, like even from a coaching point of view, there's obviously lots of good great information out there, but there's, you know, I'm not going to say there's, there's not a whole lot really new, you know, um, like, you know, tactics and formations and all those things and physical development that have been, you know, tried in sports before. An awful lot of that has been done. So, like, for me as a coach, if I'm looking at coaches or trying to educate myself, I'm actually trying to find out what people are doing that's the same rather than what the, what's different. Um, and, you know, probably a critical thing a coach needs is just, you have to be able to think for yourself. 
mm. and, you know, and make your own judgments. And like, even the words, like from the social media perspective that are used, like are like follow-up, you know? So like, there's just, mm. I see like, you know, someone comes out with a certain game plan, whether it's defensive orientated or attacking orientated and everyone just copies it. And they're like, you know, there has to be more to it than, than doing that. And then from like, if you, even a communication standpoint, like you have to, I suppose, stand for something as a coach and have, have an approach to it. Like, and if you were to look at the current political kind of stuff, like you look at Trump, you could associate something with Trump. Now I'm no fan of Trump, so I don't want anyone <laughs> or, or Boris for that matter. But like, you know, if you looked at Trump, he said, build the wall, you know, I'm going to build the wall. And then if you look at Boris, he said, we're going to get out of the EU. That, you know, there's going to be Brexit. Like, yeah. whereas you look at a lot of other messages, it's just like, oh, it sits in the middle of something and no one knows what you're for or what you're against. Or, mm-hmm. So I think, you know, as a coach, you have to be able to, if you're going to empower people and you, you want them to, you know, be involved in an exciting project with you and everyone, you know, put their shoulder to the wheel, there has to be something there in terms of the bigger purpose to be able to, to get people involved in and excite them and energize them and inspire them to be able to be involved, you know? Yeah, that's a great point, man. Yeah, great point. Build a wall. Build a, well, the wall didn't get built, but Brexit did. Exactly. Yeah, but know. no one knows that. Like, if you were asking now, what, you know, what would he say? It, it was build the wall. It's the same thing yeah. with, like, Belichick and the Patriots. Like, it's do your job. Yeah. You know, that, that just permeated everywhere when it came out. Like, and if you were to ask, I'd say, any general sports fan that would know a little bit about that, they'd be able to tell you that that's what the New England Patriots do. Yeah, 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 definitely. You know? like, so, it, like, it's a good point, though, about, about the the replicating what was, what's been there already. It's that idea, like most coaches are, are get locked into that reproductive pedagogy, like where we coach the way that we were coached ourselves and we coach exactly, the next yeah. generation the same way. And I suppose it's about that, like like you said, there isn't anything new there or, or earth shattering, but it's about trying to put your original spin on, on, on whatever that is. Exactly, yeah. And the way then you communicate that to people mm. is, a, is a massive thing. Like, you know, we have lads here in our squad, now as an example, who are like, lads who are, you know, going on and used to playing FIFA. And these fellas are used to stopping a game, making five formation changes on the screen in front of them, moving bodies around like, you know, mannequins or whatever, like a coach would do on a whiteboard, hitting start and going again. So mm. if you want to communicate with those guys, like you have to meet them in their kind of, yeah. in their space and a way that they're going to understand it. Whereas somebody else might, who's played for a longer period or doesn't do that, is a bit older and used to another style, well, then you might take them aside and or give it to them in a different way so they understand it or in video format, yeah. show them on the pitch. You know, so it's just those kind of styles are the way you can get people to retain the information that, that you're giving to them, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's probably a good way to, to, to wrap it up, Barry. That was... That was brilliant, man. I really enjoyed it. No, and I, I want to thank you for your time. Obviously, you're, you're, you might, are you a bit quieter at the moment? You're an international break, or? Uh, yeah, we're back. Well, we're back in this week now. We play Liverpool at the at the weekend. We kind of, I think, last week we had a couple of days off there at the weekend. I think it was the the first time we had two days off in a row since kind of last right. November. So yeah, that's just that that hectic period is like the earlier part of the season is not too bad because it's kind of an international break every couple of weeks yeah so from the staffing point of view you get to get a rest but obviously we have players now who are on international duty and you know you had some here who probably you know got a little bit of a, of a breather but you have other lads that have gone away and played three games and they'll be coming back into us now yeah. later in the week and they need to be ready to go again on Saturday so it's been a fairly yeah fairly unforgiving schedule for the players now this year and again some of them then have the European uh, yeah, come Cup at, uh, or the Euros at the end of the year so yeah it's been a fairly hectic schedule for them now the last kind of two seasons you know Tougher than Mayo in 2017. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I hope, I'm hoping this new GA calendar they're, they're going to come out with has uh, learn a couple of lessons for that. I, I, calculated, <laughs> I calculated before, I think there's like, what would it be, like four divisions in the National League. There's like 
and four finals. Like I think it works out to about two hundred matches, and you can you know you play them in ten or eleven weeks, and then the championship obviously takes months to run off in comparison yeah. to it. So yeah, hopefully yeah. the the system makes, will improve a little bit there, so people get yeah. to do a little bit more competition and a little bit less preparation. You know. Yeah. That's the that's the dream, Barry. Yeah, but um, yeah. so I suppose just maybe it's for the people that are listening again, lads. And I know you're probably sick of me saying this, but uh, I started these things, I suppose, as well as a as a fundraiser for for Temple Street Children's Hospital over here in in, in Dublin. So uh, for the people that have donated already, thanks thanks a million. I really appreciate it. And and, and uh, for the people that haven't, you'll find a link in the podcast description below or on my Twitter page at Mike Quirk. And again, everything goes directly to Temple Street. Nobody's getting paid out of these guys. So uh, if you can find your way to donating a couple of euros uh it would be most appreciated to everybody and it's going like i said directly to temple street so barry yeah, I, I just say as well a super job on doing that it's obviously a great cause here and yeah brilliant work by, by doing that there and all the other people that have been on i've enjoyed enjoyed Cheers, listening man. to them as well and picked up plenty so fair play to you it's a great place there and they do great work so well done on that for your end as well fair play fair play barry thanks a million man